All right, all right. So good to just fellowship with one another, and hopefully you uh, met somebody you didn't know before you got here today. We're going to get right into the Word of God. I want to invite you to take your Bibles with me and uh, find your place in the book of 2 Kings, because today we're going to be uh, concluding a sermon series that we're simply calling Elisha, and we want to talk about this man of God today and allow the Holy Spirit to talk to us about the men and women that he's called us to be. Amen? As you're finding your place there in 2 Kings, it was February 19, 1519, the Spanish explorer Hernan Cortes set sail for Mexico with 553 soldiers on board his 11 ships. The indigenous population that was there upon his arrival estimated approximately 5 million people. As you can imagine, just from a purely mathematical vantage point, the odds were stacked against him at a ratio of 7,541 to 1. He was outnumbered, to say the least. In fact, two previous expeditions had failed to establish any kind of a settlement in the New World. And yet, as history tells us, within two years' time, Cortez conquered much of South American continent. Something that he did when he first arrived on the shores was, was significant to the success of the rest of the mission. What's reported is that upon landing on the shores, he issued an order that turned his mission into an all-or-nothing proposition. The command was, burn the ships. And as his soldiers followed that order, they watched all 11 ships in their fleet be consumed in the flames. Something happened in their mind's eye. They came to term with the fact that retreat was not an option. You know, I would say most people today are living out some version of their plan B. Some version of, of the life that they defaulted to because they weren't willing to, to burn the ships. There's a lot of people that would say, I want all that God has. I want everything that God wills for my life, but we want to keep the ships in the port. I want to tell you today, Elisha, the prophet, was not that kind of man. In fact, he had a burn the ships moment in his life. We looked at it a couple of weeks ago. It was when the older prophet Elijah came to him and he threw his mantle on the young man's shoulders. The Bible says Elisha ran after the old prophet Elijah. He said, I want to go with you, but then he did something incredible. He went back home, and he burned his plowing equipment, his livelihood. He, he burned his plowing equipment, and he barbecued his oxen, and he fed all of his neighbors. It was his burn the ships moment. It was his way of saying, I am all in. I am fully committed to what God wants to do in my life. It was a moment that began an incredible opportunity for Elisha. He, he got to serve as an apprentice to the great prophet Elijah. And that same passion that he had when he burned the plowing equipment was the same passion that he had when he asked 
an audacious request. He told Elijah, he said, I want a double portion of the anointing that's on your life. A double portion. This is Elisha's heart to say, I want everything that God wants for me. And that's a prayer that I encouraged you a couple weeks ago to pray. I just want to say it again. It's maybe the best prayer you can pray. God, I want what you want for me. That's the prayer that Jesus prayed essentially in the Garden of Gethsemane when he came to that place of saying, God, not my will, but your will be done. If you'll pray that kind of a prayer, I can promise you God wants more for you than what you currently have. The Bible says he can do exceedingly and abundantly above all that you could think, ask, or imagine. So how about we start asking and imagining and dreaming about what God can do? That was the heart of Elisha. He went all in. And, and I think that passion, the passion in a young man that just abandons his plan B, the passion in a young apprentice that says, I want God to do twice as much in my life as what he's done in yours. I think that passion it gives us a little insight it's an indicator into what this story that we're going to read today is all about. Because I, I want to just give you a forewarning up front. This is not the most clear of all the stories of Elisha. But if you're in 2 Kings, go to chapter 13 with me. Because we're going to look at this interesting story that takes place right at the end of the prophet's life. In fact, it begins... Rather matter-of-factly, in verse 14, it says, Now Elisha had been suffering from the illness from which he died. Jehoahash, the king of Israel, went down to see him, and he wept over him. My father, my father, he cried, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. Now, let me just say to you today, when you read that text, it says that Elisha, the prophet, was suffering from an illness for which he would die. That might be a little striking to some of us, having studied the life of Elisha for a few weeks, knowing that this is a man who actually raised the dead. This is a man who performed miracles. This is a man who did the supernatural. And, and here's the tendency I think that all of us have. We tend to think that if God can, he will. And the danger of thinking that way is that if God doesn't, maybe he can't. But can I just tell you, just because he can doesn't mean he will. Maybe there's things you've been praying for and, and you're starting to doubt God's ability because he hasn't intervened in your situation. I'm just telling you, you shouldn't be surprised that Elisha, the mighty man of faith and power, got ill and died. Because there's only two ways we're getting out of this world. It's either going to be by rapture or it's going to be by way of the grave. And so Elisha gets sick and he's about to die. Everybody that's born dies. The real the real tragedy is that not everybody who's born lives. Elisha lived a full life. And King Jehoahash comes and, and he's mourning. He's sorrowful. Truth be told, he's probably more sorrowful that he's about to lose the protection that Elisha offered him than he is sorrowful that Elisha's about to die. You know, last week we looked at the story in chapter 6 where every time the enemies uh, of the king would plot against him, Elisha would give him a word of knowledge, and he would tell him exactly what the enemy was going to do and when he was going to do it. 
And so this king has been just reaping the benefits of the favor of God in the person of the prophet Elisha. And so now he's worried. The prophet is on his deathbed, and he's sorrowful. And so he goes to see the prophet. Can I just say on a side note, anytime you're willing to step into the prophet's chamber, there's the opportunity for God to do something incredible in your life. Prophet's chamber is the place where God speaks. It's the place where he downloads. Boy, we, I could get off on a tangent right here, but can I tell you, every morning when you open up your Bible, when you say, Holy Spirit, speak to me, you're entering into your own prophet's chamber. Because the Bible says we are the prophets, priests, and kings. And God speaks to us through his word the way he spoke to Elisha in the flesh. So King Jehoash, he goes into the prophet's chamber. And look at it with me in the text. Verse 15 says, Elisha said, get a bow and some arrows. And he did so. Take the bow in your hands, he said to the king of Israel. When he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Open the east window, he said. And he opened it. Shoot, Elisha said. And he shot. The Lord's arrow of victory the arrow of victory over Aram, Elisha declared. You will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. I'm going to tell you, that, that's a powerful moment. You understand the king knows that he doesn't have too many trips to see the prophet before he's gone. He needs help. He needs a, a strategy for the battle that he's facing. And Elisha gives him this incredible word of encouragement. As he releases the arrow, he says, that's the arrow of victory. You're going to have victory over the Arameans at Aphek. And this is where the story gets a little bit strange. Look at it with me in verse 18. Then he said, take the arrows. And the king took them. And Elisha told him, strike the ground. He struck it three times and stopped. Look at verse 19. The man of God was angry with him. And he said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will only defeat it three times. And then the next five words in the text simply tell us, Elisha died and was buried. What was that? Right? I mean, you're reading through all these incredible miracles and things happening. And, and then the man of God comes and he says, I, I need counsel. I need help. I've got my enemies up against me. What am I going to do? And he says, just open the window and draw back the bow. And, and then the prophet puts his hand on him and he says, shoot the arrow. And as he releases it, there's a declaration that goes forth. This is the arrow of victory. And so in a moment, he thinks, man, I've got the victory. This is awesome. I'm going to win. But the prophet's not done. He tells him to take the arrows and strike the ground. And, and he strikes the ground one time, two times, three times. And he stops. And then Elisha's angry. He's angry and he's wondering, what, what went wrong? I mean, if you, if you read this story... I'm a little empathetic to the king. i got to be honest. I mean, I'm thinking, what, what happened there? You know, I was talking to my daughter about this story this week. And, when I, and I read that part to her, and she said, wait a minute. Did, 
did Elisha tell the king how many times to strike the ground? No. I said, no. No, he didn't. He d how is he supposed to know that like five or six is the magic number? How is he supposed to know that if you just strike the ground three times, that's not going to cut it? How is he supposed to know that, that, that God wanted him to do more? And, and here's the thing about these kind of questions. We've all got similar questions. Not just about the king and Jehoash, but about our own lives. Well, what, God, why, why did you let this happen? Why, if I did that, then why didn't this work out? And, and we can spend all day asking those questions that maybe we'll never have a full answer to. But what I want to do is I want you to look into the text with me and let's talk about what we do know. First of all, and this is really important, verse 17, as we just read, says that the king shoots the arrow, and Elisha calls it the arrow of victory. You're going to completely destroy the enemy. But then verse 19 says, the man of God was angry with him. So here's what we can understand. Something happened in this moment. At first, the king is told he's going to have victory. Now, the prophet is angry, and he's told later, you're going to come up short. You're not going to get a full victory. Let me just tell you a little bit about the arrow, okay? Arrows are a unique instrument of warfare. I mean, you can fight with a sword, but a sword never leaves your hand. See, for an arrow to be powerful, you have to release it. You have to let it go. I mean, now, if you let it go in the right direction, it can inflict damage on the enemy. It can win a war before you even arrive on the scene. But you got to release it. And can I tell you, that's the way faith is. See, now I'm saying something. Faith has to be released in the direction of what God is doing. We have to open up the window of our soul and point that arrow of faith and release it in the direction of what God is saying. And so the word of the Lord is, if you will release the arrow, God is going to fight the battle for you. Can I tell you who the arrow is? The arrow of our victory is Jesus Christ. He's the one who fought the battle. Amen. He's the one who conquered the enemy. He went before you. He won a war for you that you couldn't win all by yourself. It's faith. That's the way we win the warfare. That's why Elisha prayed for his servant. And we looked at it last week in, in 2 Kings chapter 6. Elijah didn't pray, God, give my servant strength. When he was surrounded by all the enemy, he said, Lord, open his eyes. Just open his eyes so that he can see there are more for us than there are against us. Because we win in warfare by faith. And so, so Elisha says to him, this is the arrow of victory. It's going out. It's conquering your enemies. Our victory is in Christ. That's exactly what the Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. Look at this verse with me on the screen. It says, for everyone, every, can we just say everyone? Everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Can, our faith. Can I tell you what, what God says? Amen. Amen. Some of you have walked this thing out a little longer than the rest of us, and so you just got to stop and have a praise break every now and then. That's what that is. You can just join in next time. You won't miss it. Can I tell you, favor finds faithful. 
This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Favor finds faithful. So after shooting the arrow of victory out of the window, now the arrow that represents Jesus and the victory that he's accomplished, now Elisha tells him to do something strange. Elisha tells him, I want you to take the arrows. In other words, I want you to reach back into the quiver. I want you to reach back into your resources. I want you to reach back into what you have. And I want you to take the arrows and I want you to strike the ground. See, the victory is the Lord's. It's out in front of you. But it seems to me that the focus of the text and the heart of God is not that God is going to win the victory out in front of you. The question is, what are you going to do with what's in your hand? God's going to fight your battle for you. God's going to give you the victory. But what are you going to do with what God has put in your hands? And what does verse 18 say? It says, he struck the ground three times and stopped. In other words, he quit. He quit. Now, this is kind of a strange story, but there's one thing that's clear even if you don't understand the details of it. One thing that's very clear is that Elisha, the prophet of God, the mouthpiece of God here in this Old Testament story, he had a direct correlation of understanding between the king's determination to strike the arrows and his heart's determination to receive the full blessing of God in his life. When Elisha saw him strike the arrows three times and stop, he became furious. He was furious because he saw that as, as a statement that, wait a minute, wait, wait a minute. King, I, I just told you that the arrow represents your victory. I just told you that the arrow is going to push back your adversary, that you're totally going to destroy them. That's what you have available to you. And now I've told you to strike the arrows on the ground. And you go, what is that? What is that? You see, when you look at Elisha's life, it was so different for him when he was a young man. When he was following the prophet Elijah, three different times Elijah told him, hey, you stay here in Gilgal. I'm, I'm going on to Bethel. And Elisha said, oh, no, you're not leaving me. I am coming with you. And he said, okay, well, you stay here in Bethel. I'm going to go on to Jordan. And Elisha said, no, 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 I am staying with you. I am not missing out on my blessing. And then Elijah says to him a third time, hey, you stay here. I'm going to cross over the Jordan and go meet with God. And Elisha said, I'm, I'm coming with you. If you're crossing the Jordan, I'm crossing the Jordan with you. He had a, a drive and an urgency. He did not want to miss the opportunity to have everything that God said he could have. And finally, the prophet looked at him and said, if you see me when I depart, you can have that blessing. That was the urgency that Elisha was looking for out of the king in this moment. But he quit. I don't know why he quit. Maybe, maybe he, he felt like, you know, if the Lord's arrow of victory is flying across the courtyard... What I do is really insignificant. You know, it's case sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. It's in the Lord's hands. It doesn't really matter what I do. Or maybe, maybe he felt silly. You know, it, 
this is, this is, I did it. Well, you, I'm, I'm the king. You, you want me to do, you want me to strike the ground with the arrow? Or, or maybe, maybe this was his custom arrows. He don't want to mess them up. You know, maybe this is the, the quiver that was passed down, you know, through the, the lineage of the king. Maybe his insignia was on each individual arrow, and he's thinking, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to damage the arrows. I mean, I'll, I'll just, I'll just tap them a few times here. I, I don't know what the thoughts were that went through his mind, but I wonder if sometimes we think the same things. We think that, you know what, the part that I'm playing really is insignificant. Or, or maybe we think, you know, it doesn't really matter if I do this with my whole heart or not. Or maybe we think, you know what, what I'd really like to do is, is, is avoid dying. And so we don't want to do damage to the beautiful resources and life that God has given us. And so we just want to play it safe. And instead, we forget to live. Elisha said, strike the ground. I want to challenge you today. Don't. Don't make the same mistake that Joash made. Don't underestimate the significance of what's in your hands. Talking about your opportunities, talking about your prayers, talking about your assignment, your gifting, your calling, your finances, your health, your family. All of the arrows that God has filled your quiver with his goodness and his blessing and his favor in your life. Don't make the mistake that Joash made and underestimate the significance of your faith in action. Yes, he fights for us. Yes, the arrow of victory has gone before us. But you have to do something with your faith. When Elisha was the young man and he had that opportunity... To, to serve the prophet Elijah, he wasn't going to let it pass. And, and it looks glorious when we read it and we tell the story. But can I tell you, it didn't always look so glorious. In, in fact, there, there's just a one-sentence resume of Elisha that we, we haven't looked at. We skipped it over, but it's in 2 Kings chapter 3. I, I want you to see it. Just a one-sentence resume of this young man, Elisha. And when you see it, it's not going to be as glamorous and impressive as you might think. See, what had happened in 2 Kings chapter 3 is the prophet Elijah has already caught a heavenly Uber and gone up to heaven. I mean, he, he's gone. And now the king of Israel is looking for somebody to be his counselor. And so he says these words in 2 Kings 3 verse 11. It says, but Jehoshaphat the king asked. Is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire of the Lord? And an officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here. Now look at this. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. Really? That's all you can say about the guy? I mean, think about this. This is... This is Elisha, who didn't just have his own uh, farm and his own ox team. He had 12 teams of oxen. I mean, this guy was, was successful. This is the same Elisha who not only walked with Elijah, he's wearing Elijah's coat. 
He's the same Elijah that actually struck the waters of the Jordan and the water rolled back just for him. Not for a whole nation like it did for Moses. Not for a whole army like it did for Joshua. Not even for two people like it did for Elijah and Elisha. Nope, just Elisha all by himself. He smote the water. The waters rolled back. And and what's what's the resume? What's the impression at this point in his life? Oh, isn't that guy that used to wash Elijah's hands available? Maybe he'll come. See, I would dare say we oftentimes undervalue the significance of what God's called us to do. I, I just, I just, I'm a servant. I just wash, I wash his hands. I, I keep his hands clean. I serve. And yet when the moment came that a man of God was needed, favor finds faithful. Favor finds faithful. Just doing the things that God has asked you to do. Doing the things that you've been called by God to do. What are the arrows that you're holding? What are the opportunities that God has given you? What are the resources that God has put within your power? Ways that you can serve. Ways that you can pray. There, there are some senior adults that say, you know, I can't serve like I used to. Yeah, but you can pray. You can strike the arrow of prayer time and time again. There's something that's still in your hand. If there was nothing in your hand, you wouldn't be here. Because we're saved for service. And once our service is done, we're delivered. What's in your hand? There's a story at the end of the story. That is really, it's like a footnote in the life of Elisha. And it's kind of odd, but I think it's significant. I, I want you to look at it with me. The next two verses in 2 Kings 13. It says in verse 20, Elisha died and was buried. Now, Moabite raiders used to enter the country every spring. Once, while some Israelites were burying a man, suddenly they saw a band of raiders. So they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. And when the body touched Elisha's bones, the man came to life and stood up on his feet. Now that's the end of Elisha's story. Now now let me just say on the surface level, this, this is, you can all grab this. If that story tells me anything, it says this, that God's purpose for your life is bigger than your lifetime. That God wants you to be about something that's more than you, that's generational, that's about nations. God's plan and purpose for your life is greater than your lifetime. You know, I was thinking about that principle this week, and I came into this sanctuary, and I thought about this piano that sits right over here. Because I've sat at this piano for about five years now, and we've had many times of worship where we've entered into the throne room of God, accompanied by music from that piano. And that piano was an end-of-life gift. To this church. You know, there are people that they even write in their will an end-of-life contribution to their church. That kind of thinking is, comes from a person that says, if I've got one more arrow, I'm going to strike the ground with it. That kind of thinking says the plan and the purpose of God for my life is bigger than my lifetime. And if God can use me just one more time in one more way, I'm going to ask Him to do it. Elisha 
when he made that bold request of, a, of Elijah and he said, can I have a double portion of the Spirit of God on your life? What he was told is, if you see me when I depart, you can have it. But if you don't, you won't. And, and it was his radical obedience. It was his intentional pursuit that put him in line to receive all that God had for his life. Elijah performed 14 miracles in his ministry. And Elisha, who asked for a double portion, did twice as many miracles. Almost. Now, I don't know if he kept score, but if we add up the numbers, Elisha was on number 27 when King Jehoash came to see him in the prophet's chamber. He's on number 27, and maybe he wasn't thinking about it, but maybe he was just thinking, oh, God, I, I need one more. I need one more miracle. I need one more just supernatural so that I can say I had the full double portion that you fulfilled the heart's desire, that I had twice as many miracles as my predecessor. But the next verse says, Elisha died. Have you ever felt that way? Like, like God just, just came up a little short. I, I mean, yeah, God is good all the time, all the time God is good. I believe that, but there's this one thing, like, I, I really hoped you would. I, I really thought you could. I mean, yeah, God's faithful, I see, I, I pray, I believe, but I, why didn't that work out the way that I thought it was going to work out? The tendency for us is to, to live right there in that tension and, and to think that maybe God has forgotten, but can I just assure you, the plan and purpose for God is greater than your lifetime. And if there's anything that the cross of Christ communicates to us in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection, it's simply this, that the grave cannot stop the promises of God. Not even death can slow down his promises. And so years later, these men are trying to bury their friend, and Moabite raiders come in, and they're thinking, Man, we gotta, we gotta just, we gotta hide him temporarily. And they, they throw his dead body onto the decomposing bones of the prophet Elisha. And the power of God is so rich within his bones still that the man rises up. And Elisha leans out over the balcony of heaven and says, 28. 28. Right there. Right there. Because not even death can stop the promises of God from being fulfilled in our lives. You know, I was thinking this week about Mary McMillian. Some, some of you are nodding. You remember Mary. She was a member of this church for years and years. I mean, decades. By the time I came to be the pastor here, she was already homebound and she wasn't able to come anymore. But, but I heard the stories that every Sunday she was here when the doors were open. And we even had Sunday night service back in those days. She was here every Sunday night. And, and there were so many times that I had been told she would spend... Countless Sunday evenings down at the altar, praying and interceding for her family, praying that her son would be saved, praying that her grandkids would be saved, interceding, interceding, interceding. It was that one, it was just that one prayer that it just seemed like, I mean, yeah, God's good, God's faithful, but Mary died. And I was thinking about Mary this week because... Her son, Corey, walked through the doors of this church just a few years ago in the midst of a crisis in his own life, 
He said, I didn't know where to turn, so I came back to the church that my grandmother used to bring me to when I was a little boy. And over the last few years, Corey and his wife, Katie, have stood here on this platform with me and dedicated their children to the Lord. They stepped into the pool of baptism with me just a couple years ago, and, and I was able to baptize them in water. And this morning in the first service, Corey's sister, Miranda, was here with her husband, Bill. And in just two Sundays, we're all going to stand up here in front of all of you. We're going to baptize the whole family in water as they make a public declaration of their faith. I, I can't help but think about all of Mary's prayers. She's probably up there slapping Elisha a high five. <laughs> he still keeps his promises. He still keeps his promises. God's purpose for your life is bigger than your lifetime. I, I want to just look a little bit deeper. I just want to look a little farther into this story because I think if we, if we look at this little two-verse commentary on the life of Elisha, it may say even more to us. And as exciting as it is to see that miracle of a dead man being thrown on top of the bones of a prophet and, and him coming back to life, I mean, that, that, that preach is easy. That's good stuff right there. But let me just tell you, personally, I think this might be one of the saddest passages in all of the Bible. And I'll tell you why. Because when the old prophet Elijah was at the end of his life, Young Elisha was hot on his coattails. He wanted the blessing. He wanted to receive a double portion. And when Elijah caught a chariot out of here, that mantle fell and his anointing was multiplied and reproduced in the life of young Elisha. And now Elisha's the old man. He's lying on his deathbed. He senses the urgency of the hour. I'm about to depart. What God has done in my life could die right here unless somebody has some tenacity to go after what God wants to give them. Maybe this is the very reason he was so frustrated and got mad at the king. Because he recognized that the anointing is about to die with me. It should have been multiplied again. It should have been increased two times over. It should have gone to the next generation, but instead, Elisha died, and the power of God was so powerful in his decaying bones that when a dead man was thrown on top of him, he sprang back to life. And I just wonder if maybe that's what was going through Elisha's mind as, as he tells the king, I want you to take the arrows that are in your hand, and I want you to strike the ground. Strike the ground. king strikes three times and he quits can I just appeal to you today I, I, I don't know what your resources are I don't know what your talent is or your gift or your ability or whatever your assignment is that God has given you but would you strike the arrows I mean could we just really strike and not quit and say God I'm, I'm just going to believe you until I see the answer. I'm going to strike by faith. I'm going to strike in witnessing. I'm going to strike the arrows in showing compassion. I'm going to strike the arrows in my prayer life. I'm going to strike the arrows in worship to God. I'm not just going to give you a little hand clap and a, and a, and a high five. No, I'm going to intercede. I'm going to seek. I'm going to go after the heart of God. 
I'm going to work like it depends on me, and I'm going to pray like it depends on God. Because the arrow of victory is out there, but God is waiting for somebody with enough urgency to do what they can with what they have. It doesn't matter if you're parting seas or washing hands. There ought to be an urgency about you that says, this is my arrow. This is my opportunity. I can seek God. I can strike out. I can see God move on my behalf. And I can receive his favor in my life. Jesus was teaching his disciples about prayer. And in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, he said these words. He said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. That's a powerful verse, but if you read it in, in the original language, it, it's even more powerful. Because in the Greek, there's what's called a present imperative in the text on those three words, ask, seek, and knock. And so what that means is, the way it literally reads is, ask and keep asking, and it will be given to you. Seek and keep seeking, and you will find. Knock and keep knocking, and the door will be open to you. And then the same principle applies in the next verse. In verse 8, it says, for everyone who asks and keeps asking, receives. Everyone who seeks and keeps seeking, finds. And to the one who knocks and keeps knocking, the door will be open. And, and I think we could add today, and to the one who strikes and keeps striking, the victory will be given. It was in 1940 that Dr. J. Orr took a group of college students to study abroad in England. One of their stops included the Epworthy Rectory. The rectory now serves as a, a Methodist museum, but it used to be the home of John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement. So all the student, students stopped there to, to explore the old house. And in one of the bedrooms of the house, there, there's two impressions in the floor. And it's said that those two impressions were put there because that's the spot where John Wesley used to kneel and pray. Two knee holes in the floor. And so after a while, Dr. Orr gets all the students back on the bus, and, and they're loading up to leave, and like any good teacher, he's counting heads, and he realizes that one of his young Wheaton College students is missing. So he goes back into the house to find him. And when he walks into the room, he sees a young man with his knees on those marks, his hands up toward heaven, and he's saying, do it again, Lord. Do it again. That young student was Billy Graham. What would happen if we just struck the ground and kept striking? What could happen if we said, Lord, I don't have much, but what you've put in my hand, I'll use. And I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to stop. I'm just going to go all in and all out for what you want for me. God has something 
that he's done for you, no doubt, you could never do for yourself. He died for you. He paid for your sins. He ransomed you back from death. He is the arrow of victory that flies before you and farther than you could reach and routes your enemies before you even see them coming. But he's also put something in your hand. And he says, what will you do with what I've put in your hands? What will you do with what I've given you? What might happen today if we strike the arrow and don't quit? I want to pray for you at the end of this service, and we're going to do something that, that I, believe is, I believe is important for many of you. It's participatory, and so I want to invite you into this moment. I've asked the guys if they'll play a song. And we're just going to create an atmosphere where God can speak to us. You know, Elisha was big on atmosphere. In fact, there's a verse that we didn't read in this series, but the Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 15, Elisha was getting ready to prophesy, and here's what he said, but now bring me a harpist. And while the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came on Elisha. And something happens when we set an atmosphere for the Holy Spirit. He, he comes where he's celebrated, not where he's tolerated. And so we're going to create an atmosphere right now, and they're going to play a song. And I don't know what resources you have in your hand. I don't know what excuses maybe you've been wanting to give God about not using them. Maybe you felt like it was insignificant. Maybe you felt like your part doesn't matter. Maybe it seems a little silly to do some of these exercises to you. I'm just telling you today, the favor of God is on the faithful. And it doesn't matter if you think your assignment is great or small. God is looking for hearts that are hungry. God is looking for people that say, God, I want what you want for me. I want your blessing. And Lord, if you want me to strike this arrow, God, I'll strike this arrow until I beat it into splinters so that I can have the favor and the victory that God has for my life. I want to invite you to stand with me all over this room. They're going to play this song, and, and I'm going to open these altars. And I want to invite you. There's something that happens when we move towards the heart of God. Many, many of you have never been a part of our Wednesday night prayer gathering. But I'm telling you, you're missing out on something powerful. We see it time and time again as we turn up the music and people just begin to move. If something happens when we physically move towards God. It's like the, the spiritual temperature just rises in the room. And I just sense that it's some of you just need to take a few moments and go after God. So we're going to play this song, and I'm going to open these altars, and I want to invite you to come, to find a place, to seek the Lord, to make a fresh commitment to say, God, I'll use what you've put in my hand. I will strike the ground, and I will not quit until I've seen a full victory in your favor in my life. Father, today, Lord, move on the hearts of your people. God, as we step out from where we are, as we move towards these altars for these closing moments, God, as we lift up these words, do it again. Lord, do it again. We're not satisfied with what we've seen. Though you've been good, though you've been faithful, we're looking for that 28th miracle. We're looking for you to come and to move again. God, we want everything that you have for us. So God, we want to come hard after your heart today and strike the ground by faith. Would you step out from where you are? Would you join me in these altars for a few moments? They're going to turn this song up.
And we're going to lift our voices and we're going to seek Jesus together. Come on, make a move towards God today. Come and find a place. Come and seek him for a few moments. It's what he's looking for. He's looking for somebody that'll go all in. He's looking for somebody that has a sense of urgency. Today may be your day. Today may be your miracle. Come on and call out to him today. Father, we lift our voices to you. Father, we lift our hearts to you. Lord, you have never left us. Thank you, Lord. You are faithful, God. You are faithful, God. We trust in you, Lord God, today. Not in the arm of flesh, but Lord, in you. We call upon you today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus, have your way. Jesus, stir up fresh faith in us today. Give us a new determination, Lord God. Give us a new determination, Lord God. To serve. To pray. To seek you. To worship you. Come on, for just a few moments more. Turn up the intensity. Come on, turn up your passion for the Lord today.